Welcome. This is the Art Grind Podcast. This is a podcast run by artists for artists, where we talk about what it means to be one. My name's Sophia Kayafis. I'm Marshall Jones. And we're here with our producer, Tun Miai. We're three artists that live and work in New York City. And this is being recorded on the fly in between our many jobs and creative endeavors. We use this podcast to ground us in a space where there are so many ways to, to lose yourself. So join us. We have real conversations with artists we admire on the Art Grind. You guys are in uh, New York, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, New York. You're in, in Arizona? Uh, yep, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Wow, I have a friend. Phoenix beautiful. I... It's not this time of year. It's extraordinarily beautiful. Uh, the summers are brutal, as I'm sure you know. But I saw I saw Pearl Jam in Phoenix in probably '99, maybe 2000, somewhere around there. Okay. And it was gorgeous. Like I loved. And we drove out to Sedona after the concert and stuff, and had a ball. I love it out there. Yeah. Are, are you from, are you from Arizona? Uh, well, I was born in Syracuse and then kind of made my way West uh, with the family when I was young. I, we ended up, I was five when I uh, ended up here. So I grew up here and then I lived in uh, San Francisco after high school and on the West coast, um, went to art school in San Francisco and, uh, Lived in Seattle for a while, and but I, I uh, moved back to Phoenix. Um, gosh, it's been about twenty years ago. So I've been here uh, most of my adult life now. Yeah. Wow. What, my uh, what what school did you go to in San Francisco? Uh, the San Francisco Art Institute. Oh sure. Which I think is closed, if I'm not mistaken. Now I think was. I saw something on social media about it. Um, they went under. Maybe they've met, found a way to um, refinance it, but um, but yeah, that school was around for like a hundred years. Um, yeah, it was one of the very few art schools uh, historically in this country um, with a long history to it. And uh, as far as I know, they're just they're they're not open this year. Really? I don't know. If, yeah, it was. I just caught a little bit of the discussion, but it seemed like it was pretty final. Yeah, hmm. I have to check in on that. But that that I believe um, Adam Adam Caldwell was teaching there. Do you know him? Uh, no, I don't know him. And Sophie, I think Yoon went to that school before he came to New York. So yeah, I think he must school. be really good at teaching tonality at that school. <laughs> Between Colin and you, and you guys are the only people I know that have graduated that. <laughs> it's do they teach that? Is that part of the curriculum? No, not that I remember. They weren't real heavy on uh, skill or you know rendering or you know discipline. It, uh, it was kind of a legacy of abstract expressionism there, and uh, um, I guess conceptual art. Um, but not real heavy. Well, there's a, there was a pretty interesting movement, uh, Bay Area figurative expressionism, but it was, you know, like the name suggests, kind of a cross of uh, figuration and abstract expressionism, real loose kind of um, 
gestural paint handling, but figuratives, but not, not all, I don't remember a whole lot of, um, of uh, real um, emphasis on um, draftsmanship or anything like that, but there was some interesting traditions there, you know, uh, like Robert Bechtel and the photorealists and, uh, and as I said, you know, abstract expressionism. So there's quite a range, you know. Hmm. I always felt you, like you kind of had to um, figure out what you were interested in and then just teach yourself for the most part. <laughs> it was not a lot of uh, rigorous uh, training in one way or another, you know. Um, so were you, were you into that sort of very realistic art as a as a kid? Um, when I was a teenager, I think I I got interested in uh, you know like traditional uh, Renaissance painting, and so I learned some of those uh, techniques with the underpainting and so forth um, pretty early on. Um, but then I went to the art institute and um, really expanded uh, the range of ways of painting and things I was interested in and um, it seemed like plurality and painting was kind of in the air um, a lot of New York painting um, and so for me it was the painting came became about um, I think to a large extent uh, just mixing and matching and combining different ways of working so I had a at any one point you know I might have been doing whatever like color field painting or cartoon work. I, I always liked a lot of cartoonists, so that was an influence. Um, but then realism as well. Um, mm. So th there was a lot of that, but I think that was pretty common. It still is pretty common, um, combining different ways of working. Um, so I was um, no different in that way, I guess. Maybe a little extreme, actually, in uh, um, in the sort of plural approach to painting. Although later I would focus on one way of working or another more specifically, I'd say. Was there anybody that really influenced you in your years of schooling um, while you were learning? Um, the, uh, I mentioned Robert Bechtel. Um, as like some of the realist work I did, he was probably the biggest inspiration for that. Um, there was a student named Christian Schumann, um, uh, went to the Art Institute. Um, his work was pretty influential on me. A um, whole lot of different artists, um, but uh, I don't know specifically. Um, you know, you just borrow things from all, all over the place, a lot of different artists. Um, like I said, I'd always been, uh, interested in cartoonist work, a lot of, uh, a mix of high and low um, art, mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot of different influences. Did you, did you see yourself like being a, a fine art painter at the end of school or where did you envision yourself going? Yeah, it was, I just feel like it was, it was pretty much an even mix of high and low. It, um, you know, I use those terms, they're not, perfect high highbrow art, lowbrow art, but um, um, but I think more lowbrow art uh, was becoming more uh, acceptable or the mix of the two. 
um, I wasn't particularly innovative in that regard, but it made sense to me. You know, I, I really appreciated a lot of uh, cartoonist work, and um, but I also really liked or was interested in a lot of you know traditionally you know classified high art, and and also for that matter traditional art, you know, going back centuries as well. Um, so, yeah, um, kind of a mix, I guess. Um, a lot of, a lot of shifting around and changing focus and intention and so forth. Hmm. I find, I find your work sort of, um, informed by a, it's not necessarily an aesthetic, but almost an ethos of like, um, like you were saying, mixing things and exploring and, and almost a, a quality that is incendiary at times, almost like um, it, Gen, Gen X ethics in your art. Would you agree with that? Gen X ethics. Yeah, probably. Um, um, it's hard to say. The, the, the intentions vary from some works, uh, one work to another. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that means, Gen X. Uh, <laughs> I although think... it makes me think uh, less politically correct or less woke. Um, I've certainly been resistant <laughs> to, <laughs> to those things. Uh, it seems... I I I uh grew up a similar time you did where it was um it was just like there was a lot of freedom in that and you know from like bands like Nirvana telling you you know every it, most of this is bullshit find your own path and just like I feel like I was sort of steeped in that and I wonder if if that influenced the way you see things too you know yeah, I'm, I'm sure it did. Um, I listened to, uh, you know, all, all that music, Nirvana, and um, um, just think, I don't listen to too much music anymore, so I'm kind of recalling what I, I yeah, I liked, uh, like, the Butthole Surfers, and yes. uh, Mr. Bungle, and uh, uh, I guess, you know, some goofy stuff like Ween and uh, and all of the, well, I guess like Mr. Bungle especially where, you know, they were very pluralistic in their approach of combining different, you know, genres of music and that sort of thing. Um, that kind of plays in a little bit to what you're talking about where, you know, there's no no single one right way of doing things and let's just, you know, mash things together and, and see what and, and and create chaos, but then try to um, find the order in it and how to make it, you know, sense together somehow, that kind of thing. That might have been something I picked up um, in that whole era. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, that's, I don't know. Order and chaos, I'm thinking now. I don't know if that was more of a thing back then. Um, like I said, I don't listen to too much music anymore. But uh, 
Well, order of chaos is something that Sophie and I talk about quite a bit. Yeah. And and it's like sort of like I think maybe that's something I respond to in your work. It feels contained, but it feels a bit like a loose cannon at the same time. And I think so much of of art that I respond to is is in the middle of that you know it feels like if you get too far into the chaos it's a little un, un unwieldy and and loses a lose response and if it's too ordered it's there's not really much to see there it feels like such a nice tightrope to walk right right in between those two overlaps yeah um i think there's always some sort of balance going on like that. Um, I um, it makes me think about the, a shift that's happening in my work right now. You probably don't have a whole lot of examples to observe from it, but I, I'm coming out of a period when I did mostly um, I focused mostly on portraits, um, portraits of of women or, or um, family portraits, and they were all. Um, they were all sort of, they're based on photographs and then I would distort them in a variety of ways. And I do studies on, um, uh, what's it, uh, on Photoshop. Um, I was kind of late to figuring out how to use Photoshop, but then I, I did about five years ago and it became a very integral, integral part of um, these portraits I was doing. But anyway, the, um, a lot of the, painting was figured out in these studies ahead of time so then the painting process was mostly just technical um chaos in the the experimentation tended to happen beforehand and then the painting was more or less just executing um what i had already experimented with and spent time um you know sometimes chaotically you know, experimenting with and, and, and figuring out. So the painting process itself was, um, was pretty orderly and without a whole lot of surprises or experimentation. And I worked that way for about, I don't know, maybe off and on, um, I'd say maybe five years or something like that. But I've just recently started to return to more, uh, um, so I dropped all that. I felt like I was becoming too reliant on um, photos and uh, Photoshop. So now I'm working pretty much entirely from my imagination. And it's um, it, a whole lot more surprises. Everything's figured out on the canvas. Um, I mean, I'll do a little sketch here or there, you, you know. Um, but, and I, and I, I generally categorize uh, painting in three different ways. Um, there's working from life, uh, plain air painting, or working from a model, and then appropriation would be the second category, which I would include working from photographs, but also other artists' work and, you know, sampling things from here and there. Um, I've done a lot of that. And then the third way, I would say, is working from your imagination without a model or, um, you know, any reference uh, specifically. And of course you can mix and mix these different ways of working up. So anyway, it's just interesting that there's a distinct shift going on right now with me from, um, you know, the more photo-based work that was, you know, 
I put in that category of appropriation, although it, things were very much manipulated in a variety of ways. Um, a shift from that to going back to um, working, you know, more fully from uh, my imagination and just figuring things out uh, on the canvas as I go along. Um, so it's an interesting shift. Um, it's going to take me a while before I, you know, have a body of work or anything, a whole lot to show for it. But some of the recent works um, are, are, uh, are in that vein of working. So it's just kind of an interesting time. Um, but um, so it's a, it, it is more chaotic in a sense, but, but I feel like I'm pretty calculated and, um, and careful about it. You know, these paintings are, uh, they develop really slowly. Um, so not another thing, a lot of things are, are, are changing for me. I, I actually, it's, it's kind of funny. It's an interesting time for me because I had, I had this house and I, I just sold it recently. So I actually, for the first time in my life, have a little bit of, financial freedom mm. uh, i mean literally for the first time in my life i you know i can i can you know you know just take my time and not feel pressured to you know hustle and sell work and you know pay my bills and so forth um and and so i'm trying to take advantage of that and just kind of you know slow down a little bit you know really make sure everything a lot of my work i i always had this feeling like well cert, certain works um like i look back on them and, and i think wow i i like what i was doing there but i, I needed to put about 20 percent more time into that or something you know and so now i just i feel a little more relaxed like i've i've got a little bit of uh, freedom in a temporal sense uh, to just spend my spend spend my time, take my time, and um, and and really make things. Uh, I don't know, just hone things a bit more. And and do you foresee you you working from imagination uh, in this in this time of freedom, like using that time to develop these imaginative paintings? Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's not unfamiliar unfamiliar to me um in fact the work i'm doing now very much is relatable it harkens back to stuff i've done in my past i mean i've been painting forever you know so i have this really long history over 30 years i guess of painting um so they're similar to ways i've worked in the past um and, and so in a way i'm revisiting things i've done before in a way but um doing them much better incorporating lots of things I've learned uh, along the way and um, ho hopefully a bit of wisdom in there as well but there's also like this way of working is like the shift I'm making now is it's hard to say where it's going to go but it, it it feels like it's kind of laying the groundwork to deal with some subjects um, perhaps of a more um, social or cultural relevance that I would like to address in my work. Um, I mean, I'm still kind of slowly figuring it out, but not that the other ways of working were, um, um, that those things weren't possible with those other ways of working, but um, 
but it feels like this is, you know, I'm s slowly figuring out, you know, how to <clears throat> different subjects and, and things that I'd like to perhaps talk about that, you know, this way of working could be, uh, you know, a better vehicle for, um, for addressing some of these different subjects. Yeah. So what are those subjects? <laughs> I think, I think like when I'm looking at your work, scrolling through here, you know, going way back, there always seems to be these kind of themes of like irony, painful irony, even humor, mm -hmm. but it, oh, anger, even. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if you could talk about that and if these subjects, how they've changed or how your approach is different with this new work or anything you want to say, really. I'm curious. Well, um, humor is hugely important to me um sometimes people don't understand uh, like how important humor is <laughs> to some people you know um it's like it, it literally makes life worth living at, at certain times so that's an important aspect um of the work that i i'm very much um continuing with uh but um i just feel like you know we're in a major culture war right now i mean it is and it feels like total war you know what's going on in our society and um um i'm you know i'm not sure how to get into this um but i'm i'm very much not a fan of the radical left and the woke um the woke kind of intersectional feminist ideology that is so prominent today. And it's really interesting because, you know, I'm pretty much a lifelong liberal and I feel like the, the radical left, it's, it's a very difficult thing to address um, because I feel like the radical left kind of preys on, um, on uh, the values of, liberalism and there's a whole lot to say about this but but it's it's um it's very complex and i'm i'm, I'm learning more about it and um and just trying to figure out how to you know ad address these issues the the immediate um threat you face in doing so like i don't i don't care too much about being popular or you know ostracized but you know th those are issues a lot of people like people want to be liked and that's an enormous pressure um that people feel you know social pressure status you know um but but it's much worse than that i mean you will literally be uh called you know alt-right racist sexist homophobic transphobic whatever it is if you disagree with um you know even things that are clearly um um absurd or openly bigoted themselves um it, it do you the, feel like your work I, is pushing back against that well that's what I'm I'm playing around with a little bit, um, and I'm not sure how to do it. Um, 
exactly. It, it can take one form or another. Like there's certain works I did in the past that were openly sort of politically incorrect in a humorous sort of way. So humor will be invariably, I'm sure it will be a big part of this. Um, um, but um, sometimes it'll take on the form of just the title for a work um, that sort of reuses the kind of academic, you know, what I think of as a sort of academic pretentious language of critical theory and you know the the kind of language that is seems like it's intentionally sort of it's intended to sort of make people feel stupid like you know but there it's often cloaking ideas that are either you know really sometimes actually reprehensible um but often aren't really even all that complex they're such that a middle school aged child could understand them but they're made to seem super, uh, super complex. So it's almost like this, you know, and, th and, and that's a funny part of the, the strategy, I think, you know, and it's another way of intimidating people, I feel, because nobody wants to look stupid, you know, and so they'll just go along with certain ideas that are um, perhaps not such great ideas because they're made to sound very sophisticated sophisticated and so forth but that's just you know one thing like i'm trying to remember what the title for uh um uh i can't remember right now anyway i was just playing around with titles you know that sort of use that um if, you know would you be nervous kind of taking on these issues with with painting sales and and all that sort of thing, would that would that make you nervous too? Um, no, I you know I went through a, a period. I I got uh, I had the full mob attack on uh, Instagram and the full cancel culture treatment, um, and it really didn't affect my sales. I mean, I might have lost like one or I can think of one sale. I lost, um, but you know my my sales um, and the people I who know me and work with me. It didn't affect our relationships or anything like that. But but they really went after me. Um, these little uh, <laughs> these little woke little tyrants. I mean, they would contact uh, all the galleries I worked with and the museums I've ever worked with, telling them to you know, remove me from uh, their collections and so forth because I said things they disagree with. I mean, they, it's, it's no joke, uh, these, uh, these mob attacks, the, the little, the cancel culture thing. Um, so uh, that, that was actually a pretty wonderful experience altogether. You know, you get to you know, you have to think about things and, and what you mean and how you want to say it more carefully. And um, and it's a valuable experience. I mean, if you haven't had, if you haven't been attacked by a mob of, <laughs> of woke leftists online, you're, you're missing out on one of life's great experiences. It's, you certainly learn who your friends are. And, uh, and uh, I don't know, you learn how to, have conviction and stand up for yourself and uh it's uh but i i you know i want to i want to be clear i i purposely antagonize these people 
you know, I, I, I know, I know how they think, I know how they behave. So it, it was more or less expected. I mean, the extent of it was a little surprising, but, um, but, you know, I've had these woke breaking points, you know, a whole bunch of them, but that summer of rioting, um, during the pandemic, uh, that for me was just un unbelievable. I, I couldn't believe I was seeing that. And I couldn't believe how few people had any problem with it at all. Like it was just no criticism of it whatsoever. And so that it just started off with like some memes I was posting that I found on the internet in different places and um, kind of mocking and making fun of um, the insanity that was going on. And, uh, and people were really uh, irrational and upset at that time. Um, and, uh, and so a lot of people laid into me, but I got tons of messages in my, they tended to be private messages in my DMs of people saying, um, just thanking me for, you know, voicing a different opinion. And, um, and, and they would often go on to say, I couldn't do that myself. My friends, I would lose my friends. They would even say, my, I would lose family members. It's like, it's, it's really serious. So, um, you know, the, the intolerance, the, the, you know, the, you know, uh, of, of, of the leftists and their, 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 of the radical leftists and their, their complete inability to, to see the, the harm they're doing. And, and, well, and so, I, I, uh, I, I don't like intolerance by on any stripe, but did you see that there was like, um, in your opinion, was it like going too far? Or do you see a need for some sort of change within these, uh, these structures we have? Um, or, or do you just feel like, you know, breaking windows is, is too far and in, in the violence and stuff? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think it, it's too far the violence, I mean, they're destroying innocent people's lives, often in the very communities they claim to be so concerned about. Um, um, but, you know, there, there are larger objectives to all this, and it's not just, you know, protests and riots, it's, it's in the institutions. Um, one, one very clear issue that everybody can decide you know, which side they're on is um, an issue like equity. I mean, this is a radical leftist um, policy that's been, you know, implemented in many institutions. Um, and equity is a deceptive term. It, it sounds like equality, but what it means is equality of outcome. And more specifically, it means um, equality of outcome as it pertains to race, gender, sexuality. So literally, it's like a, um, affirmative action on steroids, where you are meeting out opportunities and places at universities or, or whatever based on race, 
gender, sexuality, etc. It's it's not compatible with equality of opportunity, which is eminently desirable for a society and something that you know is never perfect, but something you know which is you know very much in line with what the civil rights movement was about. You know, you don't judge people by their skin color. You, you don't judge people by their gender, et cetera. You judge them by their merit, by their character, et cetera. Um, so people need to decide which side of that issue, that's a very clear issue, which side they're on. Are you in favor of equality of opportunity and working towards that? Or are you in favor for, of equality of outcome? It's kind of social engineering, you know? And, and, you know, and it also, and it's, it's frankly, it's a racist and sexist policy. It just simply is. It's by definition, you are judging people by their race, their gender, and and ascribing, you know, all kinds of things. How privileged they are. You're ascribing how, you know, deserving they are. You know, how qualified they are based on those immutable characteristics. And this is, you know, one very key issue where I think the leftists go way too far they overplay their hand i mean i know why they're doing it they're not happy with this um the state of race equality between mostly on a racial level since the civil rights movement you know but 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 implementing something like a racist policy i'm just calling it what it is like equity is a very bad solution. And, and furthermore, it's a way of sort of shirking responsibility when it comes to making real improvements in the communities you're, you're specifically concerned with. They don't address the real issues. The, the only explanation for all the problems, if we're talking about the African-American community, the only explanation you're ever given is racism. It's, you know, systemic racism it's 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 you know institutional racism it's we live in a white supremacist society and so on and so forth and this leads to a kind of collective racial blame collective racial guilt stereotyping and a collective racial retribution and you see it everywhere it's in their language constantly the woke leftists and that's a really fucking bad idea. Um, that that kind of shit has never worked out well at any point in history in any society. So they're starting to go down a really dark road, in my view. Um, these are complicated issues, I understand. Um, but I just see really bad things coming if if um, if you know the. If if this stuff isn't um, isn't somehow curbed, it, because I have a question, Con. Yeah. When I'm looking at your work, I'm like listening to you say these things. These kind uh -huh. of really super politically charged, even emotionally charged ideas that have to do with having real balance in a way. That's on an honest balance. I think is what you're saying. You're kind of fighting this war for that through your work but then I, and i'm looking at this girl in a sweater with glasses and she's got her hair is kind of mud, like muddied and she's got this pink 
clouds behind her and she just kind of looks like a loser. I don't <laughs> She looks she looks like she's having a good day but maybe maybe it's not a good day. I don't know. I'm wondering if you can relate what you're saying back to one of these images and t- tell me how they're related a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? Not not that one. Um actually not not most of my work. So th- these are things I'm thinking about. It's sort of like um how to how to address them in my work. I mean, I I honestly don't want to even be thinking about this stuff or dealing with it. It's like I'd rather be doing other things. It's just so pressing. It's sucking you in. It's yeah. sucking you in. So, but I mean, those are just, to me, just joyous kind of goofy uh, paintings of, you know, uh, <laughs> um, well, they were, they were kind of, those Portraits of of those kind of goofy looking girls were sort of funny. I um, I I liked them. As, well, I just I just liked them. They 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 have no political relevance or so. Maybe you know, they do though. Maybe they do. Maybe it'd be kind of a stretch. I mean, every well, I'll say this: everything has, you know, if you to the woke leftist, everything is about race gender and, and 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 all these issues that they they see racism and sexism everywhere and so everybody's forced to deal with this stuff so but um Paula, does does an image like that bring you joy do you do you think it's when you're painting it do you do you find joy in it yeah i'd say so i i really i love the time the quiet the solitude, um, it, it, it's a great joy and a true privilege to have just time to mm-hmm. you know, work on these paintings and sort of just give them the time and sort of lovingly kind of make everything fit together and work, you know, work out the way you want them to. Um, yeah, I and and I like the results of those paintings. The portraits those were the ones that were kind of I I would do the studies and photoshop often um so I more or less knew the results ahead of time and so um and and for the most part I I liked the results because I have a lot of history with of of doing paintings that I was excited about doing but I I would hate the results you know um I'd feel very hopeful and the process was exciting and so forth but um, a whole lot of work that I, 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 that I was very unhappy with the results, you know, but I liked the portraits. Um, that was a fun period. Um, generally speaking, most of them, you know, if you just put the time in and the effort in, you're usually, you know, I usually felt pretty rewarded by the results and that was, that was joyous. That was fun. I have a question. Um, so even if these, these paintings you're saying, they aren't as related, not even really related to what you were talking about earlier, they still feel like they're poking at something, kind of Uh, like trying to kind of initiate something in the viewer, in your audience. I don't know if it is political as, you know, overtly, but there's something you're trying to make me think about and like I and even look at the comments in your in your posts you get the rise out of people do you like that and what are you thinking about in order to be so clever to get that result 
when you're talking about the portrait still, right? Of of the all of it. Of the coach. Um, yeah, they just they vary. Um, I, I I'm thinking with the portraits. They tend to be oh. See, I don't have a whole lot around here, so I'm trying to have to remember what's, you know, so, some of those were like. Um, the portrait, okay, the, the women, the man holding the women, holding the man holding the women in the clouds, and their heads are kind of like uh, stacking. I got you. Yeah, That's well, the, yeah, um, you know, it's putting a white family in a, a, you know, an iconic American landscape. Sometimes I would use like Bierstadt paintings in the background. I think that one has, um, you know, just sort of an iconic Southwestern image. Now that's all, a lot of that's Native American land. So, um, I mean, historically, and we all know, you know, the, the, the issues having to do with that. So anyway, there's this, just a goofy white family. Um, you know, in front of these landscapes. And I I mean, that's the way I think people around here in Phoenix um, who are very socially conscious in the Southwest would view that painting. So there's a little bit of intentionality, a little bit of, um, you're supposed to feel ashamed, you know, about that and about whiteness. Um, I'm sorry to have to say these things, but they're, you know, it's just simply true. So there's, there's, in a painting like that, there's um, there's that issue of white guilt, and then this iconic southwestern landscape, and I think that's the combination. But everybody's painted kind of goofy. It's not like a, a flattering, you know, portrait of these families. You know, they're they're it's it's very humorous and um, not not in any way exalting or anything like that, but. Um, but nonetheless, those those buttons get pushed with people, and you can't avoid it. You know, it's it's just the climate we're in, where people are just super duper sensitive to skin color, and you know, and and all that stuff. So, um, admittedly, I am kind of fucking with um, with that whole idea because I know, you know, the reaction people will get. You know. They'll comment on the whiteness of the people, or I can't remember what the comments were, anything like that. But um, so there's a little bit of provocation on my part going on there. Um, your your but, pigs seem secular to me, almost um, atheistic in a way. Like do you, you don't hold people sacred in, in these. They're they're goofy or they're distorted or they're, it's just, it's not a, what would we say? Like um, romantic is trivial, but that, that might be the word that lands the best. They're, they almost feel a little more in touch with the profane and not quite the sacred. Do you, do you think that's true? Yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> you know, I've always been an atheist for as long as I can remember. Um, and never been an ideologue of any particular stripe either. So, um, yeah, there really aren't any sacred cows as far as <laughs> I'm, I'm concerned, but, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't try to fuck with people too much with their, 
beliefs. It's it's mostly the, the I, it's it's the woke leftist thing that's on my mind the most because it's so prevalent, um, and it really might, it really does feel like a, a cult to me. Uh, hmm. and, um, so, but I mean, I don't. Like, you know what I compare it to? I mean, you're, you're, you mentioned, you brought up religion and atheism and that sort of thing. And I, I remember when I was young, I mean, I'm almost 50 now. But when I first started as an artist in the 80s, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. Um, it felt like the, um, the sort of moralizing, intrusive, judgmental presence in our society was like right wing religious Christianity. I, I don't want to characterize all Christians that way, but there's certainly a faction that like to interfere in people's lives and judge them. And you might even say uh, some form of cancel culture in that regard of the right wing variety, whereby, you know, if you lived an alternative lifestyle or um, said or did the wrong thing, you could be fired or whatever. Um, and I instinctively rebelled against that. I mean, it wasn't a big deal because the counterculture revolution had already occurred by the time I came around in the 60s and 70s so I just became an artist in the 80s and 90s um, but just as a natural course of being a creative person you transgress those values I think to mm -hmm. some extent and today it feels like that moralizing judgmental presence in everybody's life is um, the woke leftist you know which again to me feels very much at times like a religion like a cult and and so i'm it, it it's natural i think as a creative person to transgress those values as well um it, um just it, by being a creative person and a critical thinker i think that's um i think that's natural at least for me, um, and and I do so, and and I liked art, like you know, I liked a lot of punk music, and I liked a lot of art that would intentionally, you know, be at times blasphemous. And I would I would like to see <laughs> I'd like to see more of that in relation to uh, the woke left today. But but I feel like there's you know I feel like there's a block for liberals because you know again there. They're, they're too afraid or timid or they just can't see what's going on because it it's all mixed up with like the legacy of the civil rights movement even though it's it it's very different and, and is not really carrying on the values of the civil rights movement um, so there's a kind of block there I feel like conservatives can actually see it better um, it's almost like they have an antibody to to the woke um, movement um and i don't know what that is exactly i think it's got something to do with the emphasis on personal responsibility or something like that um i'm not sure what it is um but 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 they're definitely susceptible too because you you it's all it's all under the you know the threat of i'm sorry go ahead we're Who's first? You okay? Go ahead. I, you I can go, you ahead, Sophia. You want me to go? I was just gonna say, Colin. I I see. I hear you saying this, 
getting like kind of revved up talking about it you're sucking me in even you know like i hear you i hear your points they're resonating with me in some way um and i see your paintings like so often like these paintings are about what you don't like you're painting against something this is not what i want this is not what i want to see these things are not okay um are there, do you have paintings that you're, are there any aspects of these paintings when you're painting what you do want to see, what you do value and what you do believe in? Um, <clears throat> that's interesting. I'm not sure I, I, I see the sort of negative depiction in, in a lot of the work. In fact, like the portraits, <laughs> this is going to sound a little goofy. Um, I, so I, I went through a divorce like five years ago or something, and I started doing these portraits of, you know, young w women, and they were kind of goofy, and they were sort of like a positive presence in my life. Um, just having, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I was living in a fantasy world or anything like that, but but there was, um, a, they created a kind of, um, I don't know, just a female presence in my life that at that time was lacking for obvious reasons because uh, I went through this divorce. But um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I look at them as and they're, I mean, to me, they're very earthy. They're not they're not um, stereotypical or uh, romanticized They're, I mean, they are in a way, but in an ironical sort of way they're kind of goofy and earthy and um both sometimes beautiful but also really goofy and kind of sometimes a little ugly at the same time so i don't know they, they felt like a positive presence in my life i wasn't it didn't feel like i was painting something negative um but there are other works um that that are probably more I, I probably do feel like I'm painting something yeah I mean there are certainly works that I'm depicting things that are not um, that I don't find admirable or um, that and, and I never feel like I'm really glorifying anything um, but for example, like there's a painting here. This is an old one. It says Maryland Athletic Club, and it's these kids at a baseball. They're sitting for like a baseball oh. team picture. Okay. At no point when I'm looking at this do I feel like you love or care about any of these kids, or do you believe in their their team or anything? <laughs> I'm wondering, like, what what makes you want to paint it? Is what I'm saying. Oh, so you're going way back? Uh, okay. That that <laughs> it's funny you say that because that's a that was from a family photograph of uh, I think it it's even I think I'm even in that painting as a little kid and my brother is in there too so it's it's funny I mean I I'm not full of self-loathing or anything like that but um, um, <laughs> but it, it was just I mean that was in the 70s and I I don't know. Um, but it's not exactly nostalgic, like everything was perfect back then either. Um, 
I mean, it was goofy and um, I don't know, but I don't remember having like any strong negative feelings. I mean, I didn't have a, a terrible childhood or anything like that. So there wasn't like uh, trying to express the horror of, of the. How, how did you grow up? Um, mostly here in Phoenix, uh, single mother, kind of uh, lower middle class uh, with uh, my brother and I. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, we moved, we were born in Syracuse, then we lived in Kansas for a while, and then we finally came out to uh, Arizona. So a pretty small family. There wasn't any relatives nearby. Um, so uh, not a big family or anything like that, but plenty of friends and good childhood, lots of love. Riding bikes and going to little league games and all that sort of thing. Yeah, pretty, pretty normal. Uh, yeah. Were you painting as a kid? Um, I started around uh, 13 and uh, somehow it just made sense to me. So I, I pretty much... I got pretty ambitious about it pretty quick. Like, I, I mean, I, I feel like I literally decided I was going to pursue becoming an artist. And by the time I was like 14 or something. So I just, and I started taking uh, figure drawing classes, like from the model at the local community college around that time. I'd get a note from my mother that would say, allow me to sit in front of the naked model and, and draw uh, from life. So I was able to kind of get an early start. That's um, great. I had a lot of support from her and uh, yeah, just a lot of freedom, you know, to just pursue whatever I wanted to. That's great. That's really great. Are, are you still close with your mom? Um, yeah. She's in hospice right now. That's kind of a. Uh, uh, so she's she's had Parkinson's for a long time. Um, and sorry. Dementia and that kind of thing. So, yeah. it's a it's a trip. She's a. It's nice visiting with her. It's very peaceful. Um, but she has about the mentality of a. I'd say a two year old at this point. I mean, she's really, really. Um, far along in the whole with the whole dementia and that, and that kind of thing but she's comfortable and um not doesn't have like a lot of anxiety or anything so it's actually pretty peaceful i could just go and sit with her and um it's nice but is that is that who you've painted you painted uh recently uh, there was one painting uh, of her in blue. Uh, in blue, yeah, yeah, she's That's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful painting. Band. You can feel oh, your I... love for her in that painting. So much respect. Thank you. Was she was she supportive of like your imagery when you were, you know, when she when she had her faculties? Was she? Uh... <laughs> um, yeah she she was probably too supportive it was like <laughs> i mean you know i yeah um i honestly never trusted her judgment too much she was too positive 
too, too supportive. So it's good to have that. Well, what drew me to your work and, and why I reached out to you for the interview is because number one, I think you're a terrific painter, just technically. And then a lot of those portraits just had a quality of humor. And I'm someone who really appreciates humor and art. And I, and I, and I knew you were coming from that sort of, uh, that place of, like you said, they gave you joy and they were, um, a source of uh, a source of presence in a, in a rough time, you know, through your divorce and stuff. And uh, instant, when I saw you on Instagram, I was like, oh, I'd love to talk to this guy and, and dig a little deeper. So. Oh, cool. Well, I'm glad you guys got in touch. It's really nice to talk with you. I look forward to listening to some more of your episodes. It's a really nice, it's a nice thing you're doing. It, it, it's really, it, I think you're putting it together nicely. It's a joy to listen to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I hope this one doesn't uh, disappoint people or you guys. But uh, no, it's great. No, it's been really uh, interesting. Thank you so I much think, for speaking with us. <laughs> well, I want to. I want to loop back a little bit to to that that what you were talking about politically because I think um, it could be misunderstood in in some ways and um. And I, I grew up similar to you, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I grew up, well, this is probably dissimilar, but I grew up very uh, religious and highly conservative and like, um, in, in my teenage years, probably what I picked up about saying you had kind of a, a Gen X uh, aesthetic or ethic, it turned out that those were sort of there was something villainous about my, the people that I was with. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they were trying to silence people. They were trying to, they were prejudiced. They were homophobic. They were all these sort of things. And, uh-huh. and all that kind of got wrapped up into trying to silence people, you know, and the music we listened to and, punk rock and it was all about voices no matter what should be be allowed to be heard you know and and then it feels like as we as we move i see you frustrated because it feels like there is a a censorship coming from you you said you identified as a liberal i did i do as well or did whatever i'm fairly apolitical at this point but it was like now it feels like the there's censorship and silencing on a on another side. Is that is that sort of your frustration? Am I reading that right? That's what I'm getting. Yeah, very much. Um, that that's it in a in a nutshell. Um, it, it gets really complicated, and you know, there's a long history to you know. You know the the ideology and where it comes from, and I'm always trying to learn more about it. You know, it goes back to critical theory and the Frankfurt School, and you know, and there's elements of postmodernism incorporated into the ideology. But but um, anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's exactly as you say. I think you know uh, the leftists are 
gaining too much power and becoming very censorious and kind of authoritarian in their approach. I guess my concern is because like, um, I guess it gets so tricky for me in that way because I do worry constantly that I have, I don't want to silence anyone. And I think everyone's voice should be heard equally, but I get nervous when I think that I have opportunities given to me that other people don't have on, on any side, you know, if uh, being a white man, if there's a race there that has sort of systemically been held back, I, I kind of want to champion that to make it all equal. Um, and, I, and I'm sure you feel the same way, like in an ideal world, everything would just be equal and you would measure the quality of someone's effort or whatever, you know, like, like that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, like I said, equality of opportunity is, you know, is desirable, not just, you know, on an individual ethical level, but on a society wide level, you know, you want the people who work the hardest and have, you know, the most to offer and, and talent comes into that and, and so forth, you want those people to have opportunities, you know, that mm -hmm. they deserve, um, you know, but th that's, not what the woke left is about in my view i think um you know you could look at like the admissions policy to yale university i mean they openly discriminate against asians um because they are they demonstrate too much academic excellence and and they're overrepresented at elite institutions like that and you know if if you're in favor of these things you know, you have to accept, well, you know, if Asians are 5% of the population and, and they end up being 40% of admissions to elite universities, that's, that's just the way it, it, it is. I mean, I mean, that, that's what I'm in favor for, you know, I don't, I don't care what a person's skin color is, you know, I, you know, I want the people who are the most deserving to, you know, and, and these inequities exist all over the place. I mean, I'm thinking about Asians again, and it's like, there's no Asians heroes for them to look up to in the National Football League, for instance, you know, it's like, that's, that's, uh, that's not where they excel. Or So, um, you know, the idea that everything's going to be perfect and you know it's a kind of a utopian vision you know people are different along racial gender you know lines and and um i you know i don't know you can you can try to even the playing field that's the best you can do you know uh, equality of opportunity again you know mm -hmm. but but the social engineering and the the equity um that's where you know to me that's just a that's just a mistake you know and and i honestly think um i honestly think the the uh, the racism you're talking about at the, the institutional level i don't i don't deny that it, it certainly existed uh, much more in the past i i think it's i think it's enormously exaggerated today um 
I mean, if I think about the art world, which is what I'm most familiar with, I, you know, I don't think there are a lot of curators who see an artist's work and say, boy, this artist's work is exceptional. It would look so good in our museum. People would love it. And, or we could sell a ton of this at our gallery. It's just too bad it was done by a black man. I, I don't think that happens um, very often, if at all. I think what does happen is, you know, the reverse of that, you know, you know, that, you know, we, we just don't need another white male artist. I think that's very, very common. And I'm not, you know, I'm not bemoaning my fate or anything like that. I'm, I'm fine. I do fine. I just, I don't like it on principle. I don't like the, um, the equity. I don't like judging people by skin color, even if you're doing it in the name of, um, you know, if you believe you're doing it in the name of social justice, at least not on that institutional level. We all have our personal preferences and, you know, whoever we want to date or the people in our family and so on and so forth. Um, you're never going to remove all of those things, but I understand removing them stigma, you know, along race and gender in, in um, institutions and on a society-wide level. Uh, I, I think I think people tend to exaggerate or underestimate for political reasons how far we've come, how much improvements have been made in our society. And, you know, I'll cite the obvious thing that we had a twice elected black president. You know, this is the most powerful man in the world. And, you know, this country elected him twice. I, that for some reason is not supposed to mean anything. Um, it's not supposed to be evidence of, of anything. We still are supposed to be living in this, you know, white supremacist, tyrannical patriarchy. Um, but there, but you can only believe that if you ignore a whole lot of, of evidence to the contrary. Um, oh, I can I mean, I go with you in so far as I would love it if everything was entirely equal for everyone. Um, I feel like that's so complicated to try to achieve. And I, I just worry, I mean, I feel like personally, I've gotten opportunities because of my sort of being, being white and, and male and well-spoken and all those sorts of things. I feel like I've gotten unfair opportunities and I, I worry that it's at the, the stake of equally talented people as me who haven't gotten those opportunities, you know? That, that sort of thing does cause me concern in so far as, um, I'm with you in so far as I wish there was some way to just, you know, eyes closed and, and people get opportunities they deserved off merit. But I, I feel like it's very complicated, you know? I don't know. I feel like what you guys were saying, like, for me, I just see the problem is that, like, when we're too certain of anything, it's a problem. Because that's pride. Pride that you think you know better than someone else enough to silence them or tell them that they, they can't say what they want to say. And I think that the answer to Marshall's worry is, is remembering to be grateful. And I feel like the answer to your worry, Colin, is, is about something about humility. 
and real honesty, like just on a functional, like day-to-day basis for us personally. Like that's how we can beat these things that we're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of, a lot of deception, a lot of, you know, political, politicization, (laughs) sorry, um, of all these issues and people have agendas and they have egos and, and we all, um, we all lack a a fully encompassing perspective. Um, Hmm. but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I just feel like, you know, the, I feel like I recognize the problems. Like if you just look at income disparity between African-Americans and whites or Asians, and that's a problem. I mean, you know, but, but I just, the remedy for the problem is completely wrong. I believe. Um, The remedy for the problem seems like it needs to come from person, each person individually working on themselves connecting with other people in a real humble way but also being grateful for the opportunities that they have like because yeah. you can't invent a system to make it go away you can't fight it directly either because it's so like you said it's all encompassing it's everywhere it's hard it's hard to put your finger on it but hmm. it's easy to say it's easy to kick against something so huge because it's everywhere. It's in everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you mentioned gratitude in there. And, um, I think that's something a, a lot of people, myself included, could have a bit more of. Um, mm-hmm. There are lots worse places to live than in this country and lots worse times to be living than the one we live in. Um, I just, you know, I'm afraid things are, you know, going in a bad direction, you know. Uh, and it's not just, you know, these issues. I, I feel like, you know, class and the wealth disparity and, uh, you know, that's a huge issue. I, 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 I saw a graph recently that the, um, the wealth disparity, like the percentage of wealth that the 0.01% of society has is at the same level it was, the only time it was ever higher, this wealth disparity was ever higher was right before the Great Depression. Um, I don't know if there's a, a correlation there, <laughs> but but that's the last thing we need is is a huge market collapse and, and another Great Depression. <laughs> That I mean, we we I feel like things got kicked off with this pandemic. Like that was a hardship that we went through on a national level, and I don't I don't think we handled it well as a nation. Um, and I hate to think like if if worse things come along, like how how bad people will start behaving towards each other. Um, but I don't know. And I sometimes feel like you know the wealthy or the ruling class they're they're just, they're fine with it. As long as it's just about race, you know, fine. Just don't make it about class. Don't, don't come after our wealth. 
you know? And so I sometimes feel just stupid for even involving myself in these issues. Although I, I, I think it's kind of unavoidable because, you know, I feel like the real issues are more to do with, with, you know, class and, the enormous wealth disparity. I mean, but, every, everywhere we look for contradictions, we can find them. They're everywhere. I mean, that's, that's the meaning of being alive. <sighs> but like, I, I think your work does address that, if anything, you know, these, these contradictions that we all live with, we all are aware of. We don't really do too much about it, but we all know it's there. <laughs> um, you were saying your work, I just want to ask you one or two bonus questions. I want to ask you this one. I think Marshall has his own before we wrap up, but it's about, you said your, your work is changing and you're starting to work for your imagination. You're starting to address these political themes more overtly and directly and integrate them into your style and your kind of, I guess your ethos in the studio. What is going to happen with this imagery? I see these kind of penile looking, blobs coming and and fucking or or shitting themselves and smiling i don't know it's great i love it where where is it going for you where do you see the the imagery taking you in the next three years that's my bonus question the one i'm working on now is very much a continuation of of the uh, in the style that you were just describing uh, that particular painting um so i kind of like these you know these they're I think of them as little figures, you know, but they are kind of worm-like and, you know, they're often doing, engaging in, you know, kind of disgusting activities and there's lots of effluvia and, and body and, and so forth. Um, <laughs> and, but, but there's lots of different signifiers of, of, um, pop that I was starting to put in of, you know, whatever political orientation or like some of my i think we're wearing like little berets like little communist berets and then there were others that had a kind of like some of the new ones just it's it's remarkable the the sort of different cultures and ideologies you can reference just with with hats and and, and helmets and different headgear so anyway they're, they're just like these figures and then um and then I'm relating them to each other in a variety of different ways. Um, but I'm continuing with that. I'm just sort of seeing where it goes. Um, and your, your early, that middle, those like works like for the last five years, those feel like there's like a transfer process or something getting them on the canvas. And then the more penile ones yeah. feel like you're just drawing right on the canvas with paint and working them out that way. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the shift. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just working real slow and deliberately right now, um, kind of carefully and just sort of slowly building these paintings. The one I'm working on now is about five by six, so it's much larger. Um, and uh, I'm about a month and a half into it already. Um, I'm sure it'll take at least four months. Um, so um, it's, so it's, it's for me how open to change are you when like you you you're i don't know if you're working on a a little design or some sort of shape and then i'm sure you're painting the like i've seen a little bit of how you're drawing them in are you going over a lot of them or are you 
responding to what the canvas is telling you, like sort of like, oh, now it looks a little different. I got to put some things here. I got to do some things here. How how intuitive is it? Um, it's very intuitive, um, but uh, it's slowly building. Like I'm building a, a language and a, you know a kind of array of images or perhaps iconography that I'm I'm starting to reuse in some of these. So. Like I said, they, they're similar to works I did, I mean, really long time ago, like 20 years ago. Um, so there was some precedent for it um, in my past, but just the last couple ones, I did a drawing and then um, uh, the painting that um, Sophia just described a little bit of. So I'm sort of just building the characters and the iconography and, um, and the whole subject matter it's developing slowly it's you know i hate to sound like i'm off in my own little world <laughs> or anything but but it is kind of like building a you know a, a world up um and it's it's slow you know i mean i'm enjoying i'm enjoying the pace of it hmm. you know and my plan was actually to not even show any work for a couple years or something, you know, and just build the body of work up. Um, and and you know, I always, which is which is interesting to me because I always worked at such a, I don't know, a feverish pace. Like I just put in tons of hours, like just to be able to work full time as an artist. Because I I had a lot of different jobs when I was younger, and um, and the transition to being a full-time artist was a big deal to me. So I always took it really serious and made sure I tried to work really hard. Mm. Um, when, when did, how old were you when that happened? Um, last job I had was, I was a truck driver, like a long haul truck driver. And um, that was probably 2003 or four. So it's mm. been over 15 years that I've just been piecing together a, a living as an artist. That's and, great. That's amazing. The long haul truck driver sort of prepares you for long hours in the studio, huh? Just sort of like. That, I, that was my favorite job. I mean, it was demanding, you're away from home, but uh, I liked it, you know? I don't mind solitude and, and it was kind of like you're your own boss, you know, which was, uh, which was appealing to me. Um, and then you just end up somewhere new every night. And I would carry sketchbooks and that kind of thing. So I could always keep my artistic practice alive, you know, hmm. but, but it does get kind of demanding, you know, hmm. on the road all the time. Uh, in your opinion, what makes a great painting? Ooh. Um, um i i don't know i don't know how to answer that um i mean skill comes into it for sure um but often there's a um i don't know some strange confluence of events that uh that occur um and makes make a, a painting better than um, the artist could have hoped for or intended to. Often it's the reverse, like you make all the 
preparations possible and have the best intention and work as hard as you, you possibly can. And it just doesn't work out very well or it's only mediocre or something. Um, so there's some element of chance in there, um, right place, right time, right subject, um, right technique and so forth. Um, um, but, but certainly experience and skill and in whichever way you work, um, those things figure in, of course, heavily. Um, so yeah, uh, chaos in order, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so uh, what's the most important thing your art has taught you? Um, I don't know if it's the most important, but it's what comes to mind right now. Something having to do with um, the responsibility of, of freedom. Um, I, I think that was a big part of why I became an artist was it seemed like I wanted to be as free as possible. Um, and of course it turns out to be a very difficult career path. Um, and you have to work very hard and you have to be very disciplined. Um, I think, I mean, perhaps not overwhelmingly so, but, but um, I don't know, something about that perhaps, like um, the responsibility of freedom or uh, working for freedom or perhaps freedom in discipline, um, something like that. I'll go with that. Oh, I like that answer. That's actually, that's kind of beautiful. Uh, because you have a sense of humor in your work, this, we ask this to a lot of people, not everybody, but uh, what do you think about Thomas Kincaid's paintings? Um, I, I know who you're talking about. I haven't spent a lot of time looking at them. Um, uh, they just look like uh, kitschy paintings to me. I know he was very successful wasn't he um yes he had a, quite a racket going um the most sincere of all time are, are you saying that ironically <laughs> yes <laughs> also, no that's that's the thing about him uh, yeah I, that sounds about right um i didn't have strong feelings about it it seemed like you know he was he had a racket going and people people bought it you know um good for him i guess i mean <laughs> it's, I, I wasn't terribly interested in in the work as as art you know it wasn't appealing to me you know who who do you look at and for inspiration or uh whatever art historical mentors or whatever um su surprisingly little to be honest with you, I, I feel like I'm kind of embarrassed to say it. I, I just, I never, I, I go on Instagram a little bit and there's a lot of artists whose work I, I see and I like, um, but I don't really, I don't really go on websites or look at art. I don't go to museums or galleries anymore. Hmm. I, yeah, it's a little odd, but I'm just more interested in other things. I, I love painting. I, I mean, I, I remain, completely in terms of creative fulfillment completely engaged with painting i do it every day and 
it's challenging and interesting as challenging and interesting as always. Um, but, but I just, I just look at, I look at other things, um, reading and, uh, you know, uh, podcasts and, um, lectures and stuff, uh, on other subjects, a lot of history and, uh, and a lot of stuff having to do with ideology um in the current culture affairs cu cultural affairs you um, referenced uh Bierstadt in one of your paintings and he was of uh, course a painter of sort of like western I expansion and and it it reminded me like you came from new york and then went to phoenix he was sort of from the east coast and went west did it was were you thinking about that when you painted it um a, a little bit i mean i i kind of can place him in 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 the history of the country and roughly you know as an artist who is related to you know ideas like manifest destiny and uh, like you say the the westward expansion of the country and the population um so he was kind of yeah just sort of fully embedded in that part of the history of the country um and just a great great fucking painter i mean yeah. that's another thing just on the artistic level just you know mind-blowing yeah what is what is the art scene like in in arizona are there do you do you I, I know it in terms of um, sort of like there's a big uh, indigenous art presence and stuff like that. But in terms of like galleries for your your type of paintings, is there is there much of a scene for that? Um, not really. Hey, I got to tell you, I'm down to about 10 percent. So just in case we get cut off on my battery. Um, OK, um, but. We should, we'll, we'll wrap it up anyway, so. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've shown a lot in Phoenix, but I never really had gallery representation. I always did better outside of Phoenix. Um, and I don't really show uh, much here anymore. Um, it felt, I don't know, um, it felt like about 15 years ago, I was really hopeful about the scene. There were some new galleries and they were kind of progressive in the artistic sense um but a lot of them petered out and um and it i don't know it just it it never feels like it it fully matures around here and mm. in terms in terms of the art scene um and i could just never make a living or anything so i was always trying to expand out of phoenix and um, and, and, uh, and I always did a lot better outside of here. So it's a little unfortunate, you know, um, I would have, I would have liked to have done better in Phoenix, but it's not really, it, it just, it never, you know, I had to finally accept that it just wasn't the right place for my work, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, some people like my work, but you know, there's not enough of a support or, um, interest to really you know make a, a career out of it you know or make a living mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. but it's different for other artists some artists do well here 
I just, it just, for whatever reason, it wasn't the right place for me as an artist. I like living here, you know, I have good friends and that kind of thing, so. Well, Colin, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, well, thank you guys. I'm really glad you got in touch. It's really yeah. nice to meet you guys. It was really nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And um, nice let's stay in touch. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Free to reach out. I look forward to listening to some more of your podcasts. Oh, good. Uh, thanks good so much. Uh, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And I got to say, if, if you're feeling like you're one of those people who's really getting something out of this podcast, please donate. It really makes a difference for everybody, really. Lastly, I'll leave you with the Art Grind Hotline. Tell us how you're doing. Tell us what you think. What's on your mind? What have you been making in the studio? 929-267-4830. Again, that's 929-267-4830. All right, guys. Take care. Stay safe. Bye-bye.